This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Moorfield. That's me. This is episode number 26 for November 2012. Our topic for this episode is The Sessions the 2012 film written and directed by Ben Lewin. This episode is not a spoiler-free discussion. If you have not seen the film yet and do not want plot spoilers, now would be a great time to go check out one of the other podcasts on Film Geek Radio. So, Ken, talking about The Sessions, what can you tell us about this film? The Sessions is uh, first made a little bit of buzz at Sundance earlier this year and is getting a strong Oscar push from Fox Searchlight. It is about a man who is disabled. He spends the majority of time in an iron lung as a result of having polio as a child. And he, after consulting with a priest, decides to hire a sex surrogate played by Helen Hunt, who is limited to six sessions, which is where the title of the film comes from. And the bulk of the film is situated around their encounters and the relationship that happens between them, uh, as well as being intercut with the main character. His name is Mark. Uh, his interactions with the priest, Father Brendan, played by William H. Macy, about what he's doing and how it's going. Right, and just so we're, we're, we're clear, I mean, the Mark character is someone who had never experienced any sexual, well, purposeful sexual relationship at all. Um, and he is basically paralyzed from the neck down. And the Helen Hunt character, yeah, they, they spent some time defining what is a sex surrogate. She's presu- not a prostitute. Not a prostitute. Um, and the, the film does, you know, show us the, the her workings, you know, as a therapist. Um, she's she's taking notes. She's making diagnoses. Um, there is a plan in place to ostensibly the outcome of the sessions is so that by the end of it. Mark is able to, would be able to go on and experience a healthy sexual life with someone else. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I Certainly one of the limitations of the film to me is that I'm not sure to what extent her work as a therapist is understood as such. They... They have a number of scenes in which she speaks into a tape recorder and makes therapeutic observations about his emotional state, but it doesn't always seem clear to me whether or not 
those observations are purposeful or meaningful or other than to give us expository insight into what she's thinking or feeling about him, but whether there's an intentional use of them uh, or if they're also just there dramatically to reinforce to the audience. No, she's not a therapist. <laughs> she's, uh, But, I mean, she's making all these observations about his emotional state. I don't know um, necessarily that that is informing her treatment of mm -hmm. him because when they do meet in the sessions there's such a big deal out of he's in control he's in charge he gets to decide what what they are going to do and right i i know in traditional non-sex therapy or counseling they'll sometimes talk about the patient's goals for therapy and your goals for the patient uh, but um I'm not quite sure what she's doing with all these therapist <laughs> notes or who they're for. Right. You know. Okay. So in thinking of this film from a thin place perspective, um, I think we, it, it, at least I as, as I was watching it, I zoned quickly in on the priest character. Um, Mark is presented as being a person who has a long-standing faith. His religious life is very important to him, and he goes to his priest for advice. Um, and even, in a sense, permission. Is this an okay thing to do um, when he's thinking about it? And in one of the, you know, the, the, the striking statements that the priest makes early in the film he certainly is wrestling with this question. You know, you are talking about sexual intercourse, Mark, um, with a woman. And, you know, he's trying to process all of this. And then as a priest, what does he tell his parishioner and, and whatnot? And after a bit of a struggle, he says, well, I think God will give you a pass on this. Go for it. And I, I found that, at, at the very least, troublesome. You know, he, he very clearly stated, here are the rules of the church. No, but God is going to give you a pass on this sin. Again, am I, is that, would you call that a, an accurate presentation of what was going on in the film? Yes, that's, that's, I saw, I saw that scene. Okay. So, what do we think about this? This idea of this priest basically, in, even in his own words, giving Mark this permission to go sin. That's, uh... <laughs> That's a problematic aspect of the film. I think that there's going to be a number of people who dislike the film just because of its subject matter. It's very frank sexually. There's a, I mean, we should say up front for Christian viewers who have triggers you know, visually, there's a lot of nudity mm -hmm. and, you know, there's depictions of them having sex. I mean, I'm sure the actors don't have sex on screen, but the characters are having sex and so but there's also going to be some more serious-minded viewers who are like okay i'm willing to engage that subject matter but nevertheless find it problematic that the the priest in his role as priest says i you know i feel certain that god will give you a pass i i guess you know, a good place to start with that is I'm not sure I know what that means. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think that that's true of the way that any sin operates or or anything within that operates. I would have been more comfortable if, or at least understood it better, if the priest had said, I'm sure God will forgive you, or within this context, under these circumstances, I'm not sure that this actually is a sin. Mm -hmm. But there's that weird sort of combination in the phrase, God will give you a pass, of the insistence of, no, I can't let go of the fact that this is wrong. Right. But on the other hand, I will go ahead and say that that's it's okay. And, and I mean, I think what they're going for with the priest is that they want to make him a sympathetic figure. And that's appreciated, given the ways that priests are so often depicted as being intractable and unloving right. and careless. So... I mean, I think it's a positive thing that Father Brendan is portrayed as being genuinely compassionate mm -hmm. and a friend to Mark. And there's even some stuff, you know, as the film goes along that, that they don't really explore, it, that Mark's confessions become kind of a session for Father Brendan, whom I suppose, since he's a Catholic priest, is supposed to be celibate. Right. And therefore himself has voluntarily taken a vow of celibacy and hasn't experienced some of these things and maybe sacrifices in the sense of it's very hard to listen to what Mark is going through or, or doing. And so, uh, you know, it's nice that he's portrayed as being not adding to Mark's burdens, but it is probably, you know, problematic for those people who are, are within the church uh, and would want a more active wrestling with that conflict between uh, the law and some kind of sense of frustration, impossibility, you know, remorse or uh, struggling with loss, that, that that was genuinely a struggle and not just dismissed out of hand at the beginning. Right. Well, and certainly, at least... In my viewing of it, they, we do see, you know, and maybe it's just, maybe some people would feel it's too short of a period, mm -hmm. but Father Brendan is shown really is, you see him wrestling with what he's going to say. Um, yes. He, some long pauses, he's looking very, you know, he's walking around, pacing, trying to decide, he's looking at the various icons, what do I say to this man? Um and I think, you know, in the full context of it, I mean, here's a man who has already far outlived his expected length of life. You know, I, 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 I'm, I got the impression from the film there was some sense of, you know, Mark wants to experience the full, the fullness of humanity. And this is one area he hasn't. And I think that gets into the priest's thought. Um, and, and also that question, well, this is therapy. You know, this, this isn't any, you know, he's not having an affair. Um, and, and it really does get at that question. Are we talking, is the sexual act itself what is sinful or is it something else? Right. But now, it, and I think we need to get into that. But, I mean, I think it's also worth emphasizing that I would have been less disturbed or troubled if Father 
Brendan had said, this is therapy. Right. Therefore, it's not really sex. True. Therefore, it's not a sin, you know. And that's a little bit different than... Go for it. You know, (laughs) go for it or God will give you a pass. Right. Now, maybe what they're aiming for is, I don't really know. I'm in uncharted territory. You know, I don't, you know, maybe that's really just a shorthand way of saying this isn't really sex. And that's why God will give you a pass. But, you know, I think that needed to be explained a little bit more Mm -hmm. clearly. Or what I suspect, and this is just me, you know, is that I don't know how to answer. And when I don't know what the answer is. I'm not going to be one of those priests that errs on the side of caution. I'm going to err right. on the side of saying, okay, God's not a, you know, what's more important for you to know. I, I don't know why you have polio. I don't know why you can't do this. I don't know why you would want to be celibate. I don't even know if this is a particular sin, but unless you know that it's not, you've got to abide by it. Or I'm going to err on the side of saying, you know, not knowing all of these things, what I do know is that God is loving and God is compassionate. And so whatever you do, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that adds to your conception of God as being not only did he give you polio, but he also called upon you to not experience this, you know, this part of life or is going to be vindictive if you do. And I mean, in one sense, I'm down with that. I'm, you know, I don't think God is a bully. I don't think God hates us and wants us to be miserable. I do think God is capable of forgiving us. And I do think that we oftentimes care more about certain things than I suspect God will when we get to heaven and care less about certain (laughs) things than God will when we get to heaven. But, you know, that's part of a much larger theological conversation that can't just you know, be answered with this very pithy... No. Well, and and the film itself is kind of... I mean, Mark goes to the priest in confession, you know, as part of his confessional. Preemptive confession, And yes. it's a preempt... And he says, well, I haven't sinned yet. Um, so he knows. I mean, there's something there that, you know, in within the confines of the church, the, the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that... Mark knows this is a sin. Well, okay, let, let me, let me, that's a good point. So let me, but let me either push back on that or tease that out. There is a concept in the Bible, I think it's Romans, right, about the, the notion of, or it's probably Corinthians, right, about sinning against your own conscience. Right. You know, when they have some of these things like meat offered to idol, and what Paul says is that, okay, it's not a sin. But if you think it is a sin mm-hmm. and you do it, then it is a sin. Right. You know, regardless of whether it is just in the abstract. So I think maybe a key question, and, and I don't know that I can answer this from the film, is to what extent does Mark think that it is a sin? You know, to what extent is his Catholicism serious, you know, and mm-hmm. saying, I really want to do this, but I can't unless you have absolution. And to what extent is he saying, I don't think it's a sin, but I know that the church does. And if it's the latter case, then what exactly does he need from Father Brandon? You know, Father, yeah. Father Brendan? Um, and, and certainly I think if I were in Father Brendan's position, I would be very wary about 
to quote Shakespeare, right, the sin beyond my own head or making that moral mm-hmm. judgment. I, I can't make that moral judgment for you. I can't tell you that God will be okay with that, you, you know, uh, certainly if, you know, any more than I can tell you that he will be, right? right. You, you know, uh, certainly I can understand your argument and be your friend alongside of you and continue to accept and love you. But it, it, it's not clear from me how much of Mark's initial interaction with the father is actual spiritual counsel, right? You know, how much of it is a sense of guilt and preemptive confession and how much of it is, I don't know, fear, you know, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to do this or there's a part of me that's scared of it. So maybe he will say no for me. So I don't have to. Well, and, and complicating that even further in the film is the fact that Father Brandon is a is the new priest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their first interaction, it's very clear that Mark was actually looking for the pre, you know, the old priest who's not there anymore. And okay, so now here's this new guy. I don't know who he is. They are building a new relationship as well, right? And 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 you know, to your point about is this going for true spiritual counsel? You know. The, those opening scenes, it seems like he's, I mean, he's still feeling out this new priest. And so how much could that have been seeking out that kind of counsel? Yeah. Now, on the plus side, he continues to go to Father um, Brendan, even after he begins right. the therapy. And even at the end of the film, um, you know, there's there's a church scene that suggests that he's been a member, Mark has been a member of this parish you know, for some time and continues to be... Well, they develop uh, a real friendship. Right, right. And so, um, but I don't know how much... It, it's a weird sort of dynamic. I don't know how much he's going for therapy, but maybe that's true of anyone. You know, mm-hmm. how much of it is... And and I think that's a weakness of the film. I, I don't really get a very strong sense of Mark's spiritual life mm-hmm. you know i don't really get much of i mean you get a little bit of a sense of mark's life i was gonna say of mark's life right aside from because that's not really what the movie's about you get that first 20 minutes or something that's establishing what his life is um and then you get the sessions but you don't really get a whole lot of i mean we're told he's a writer and that he wrote an article about this and you know that he's interacting with some other people um, but I, I don't really get a whole lot about what the role of religion is in, in his life. And so that makes it very hard to know what to make of the, the priest. It's like, does it even have to be a priest? Right? right. You know, I mean, would it be, would the film be any different if Mark was just talking to a friend, you know, his friend was. Uh, a regular therapist, right? You know, if the the William H Macy yeah. or a teacher, we, or we, we do get the sense that the church is important to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has icon, religious iconography all over his yes, room. Yes, that's the that's a good point. You know, uh, on his iron lung, mm-hmm. you know, he has little prayer cards that he certainly looks at a lot. And he talks to was is it the Virgin Mary sometimes yes. in the in the card? He he'll talk to her, right? Um, so I mean. It's certainly the sense that it's important to him. It's an important part of his life. Now, beyond that, it 
I agree. I, it, it's hard to say what, where that is. And, and certainly, I mean, the therapist makes notes about his religion and what role that's playing in some of perhaps some of his psychological difficulties with sex. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not, it's hard to get a full picture of, right. of that. And, and in order to get at this question of what's going on with his question to the priest and the priest's response, um, it certainly raises lots of questions. And I suppose some people would say, yeah, and that's not what the movie is about. Right. I mean, so we're back to the notion of I think that's a weakness in the movie because if the movie doesn't provide you with enough information to really evaluate what do I think about this, uh, then it sort of teases you with the religious yeah. aspect but doesn't give you enough to really uh, evaluate it. Now, a defender might come back and say, well, that's not what the movie is about. But then I'm like, if you're going to have the prayer cards and you're going to have these interactions with the priests – then I do think that's a part of what the movie is about. Yeah, yeah. And I want to have a little bit more of how did they get there? Right. You know, how did they arrive at that decision? How did they, they bond? I mean, you know, we've got most of the different sessions with Cheryl, the therapist, and uh, that's worked out very slowly and progressively mm-hmm. and, and incrementally. And you get some incremental friendships growing with his attendant, the the woman who takes right. care of him, you know, just physically and more of a nursing capacity. Uh, you know, you get that built incrementally, but you don't really get the father relationship built incrementally. It just becomes these sort of, it, it becomes more of a plot device for him to come in and, you know, Cheryl talks into the tape recorder so we know what she's thinking. He talks to the priest so that we know what he's thinking we never really know what the priest is thinking, and and I want to know what the priest yeah. is thinking because I guess in some ways that's the character that I most identify with, and I think there's a message in there about like okay, how do we deal with the disabled people? There mm-hmm. are some scenes in the church where Mark's giving confession and other parishioners overhear things, and they're uncomfortable with that, and there's just that shadow of the notion of like okay. The church tells us to love and take care of people, but we're actually very uncomfortable when they show up in the church. Right. And I get that and I like that, but it's, it, you know, it, it's again, it's a tease. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of a tease and, and sort of saying, okay, let's dangle that in front of you, but never really explore it in, in, in a substantive way. So if the film isn't exploring that in a substantive way, is there anything that it is, would you say? Yes, I well that probably leads us segues into our second score. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, into our second major talking point, which is it's about sexuality. Yes, and I think that one of the things that I started to write in my review, I haven't posted it yet, was the very thing that makes it better than I expected based on the previews, is also the thing that makes it frustrating or, or naggingly incomplete, which is it takes sex seriously. It does. It, it, I, you know, I looked at the trailer and I thought, okay, this is just sort of a comedy about, you know, uncomfortableness. He's very uncomfortable with his body. She's very frank and open. And, um, you know, then we have these comedic 
encounters where other people look and are made uncomfortable right. by him exploring his sexuality. And I think that it it does a better job than most commercial films that depict sex but aren't about sex at saying sex has consequences. Mm -hmm. Of course sex has consequences. You can say all you want. We're only going to have six sessions. I'm not a prostitute. This is strictly a business relationship. Um, But the very act of having sex, whatever you tell yourself about it, creates at least, you know, if you believe the biblical uh, accounts, which I do, creates a bond, whether you want to call it an emotional bond, a spiritual bond, between the two people Mm -hmm. that do it. And if you engage in sex without acknowledging that bond, it gets messy in all sorts of ways that you can't control. Uh, And I think the film is very honest about portraying that part of it. But then it backs away. Yeah. You know, once it begins to show, things get a little bit more complicated. Both of the characters, rather than say, okay, we're going to rethink some of our assumptions about what we're doing and what we've done, they say, well, we're going to reestablish control by, you know, deciding that we're going to put a limit on this relationship before entanglements happen and i'm sitting there looking at the screen saying it's already happened right you know and i suppose that's where some of the poignancy of the film comes out uh which is to say something is gained but something is also lost that there's a lot of pain Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of hurt uh but they never really tie that hurt back to well right father brendan says i think you've done a great thing and I'm not sure quite what that means, but I think what it means is, you know, rather than live in safety, you've opened yourself up to pain. You've accepted, right. you know, some pain. But they never really then tie that pain back to, you know, part of that pain comes from a place of not just accident. It comes from a place that's very predictable because you have treated something that's very painful or potentially painful or very dangerous as Something other than what it is, and I don't feel like they've they ever acknowledged that in the film. I, this, well, I, this is not the first time that I've used right this <laughs> this quote from the Indian in the closet, right? But th- there's that whole voice in the back of my head saying, "You should not mess with magic. You do not understand." <laughs> and, and it's not quite magic, but there is that spiritual yeah. component of of they're messing with things that they don't fully understand, and I think they understand it more than. The people in the James Bond movie who are just sleeping around with no well, consequence, and that's not real. But and I guess that's for for me why the Cheryl character is so interesting because I mean Mark wants connection. Yes, I mean you know one of you know the, the early little scenes that we have with one of his first caretakers. You know when he's doing the interviews, I mean he picks a beautiful young woman precisely so that he can have a beautiful young woman mm-hmm. to relate with. I mean, he's looking for this connection. Um, whereas Cheryl is supposed, you know, seems to be this professional sexual surrogate. This is her job. Um, you know, she has a, she's married, has a child. She talks with her husband about, you know, how to go today, honey. And I mean, we, we get the whole kind of weirdness of 
that but there's although I do want to say too that she she does seem to shield the child she does from some ways of what she's doing which shows to me a kind of mens rea for all my protestation that there's nothing wrong with this it's not something that appropriately I want to talk about right well and some of that could just simply be recognizing society yeah or age appropriateness things that are age appropriate Um, but so you know she has this veneer of this is therapy, this is professional, this is whatever. And yet there is something about Mark in this particular case that breaks that down. And yeah, I mean, it's sex is not just a physical action that she's training somebody to be able to do. There is something deeper and she should know that. In fact, she reveals that she knows that in her note taking with, you know, she's commenting on the, the various psychological issues that are keeping Mark from, you know, being able to be successful. And she knows that there's more to this than just the physical act. And yet, as you say, they're playing with magic and well, who couldn't see where this was going right. to go? Right. And, I mean, knowing it and being able to do anything about it are two different things, right? Sure. And that's the great hubris of the intellectual or professionalization society mm-hmm. or the modern Western society, right? We call it in, in English 101 the explaining by naming fallacy. If we give a name to it and if we state it or we understand it, then somehow or another we think we're impervious to it, right? right? I learned that lesson. I, I won't go into that whole tangent, but right about like propaganda or something like that, where we watch a bunch of ads or something like that. And we say, if, oh, I've read a marketing textbook. I know all of the the tricks that they're playing to try to influence me and brainwash me. Well, the person who's being brainwashed, it doesn't matter if they know they're being brainwashed. <laughs> Some of the, you know, the, the techniques or something like that. But we seem to sort of say that as long as we are sitting there saying, oh, well, uh, he's emotionally needy. I'm not going to let him fall in love with me. Or I can provide this service, which entails emotionally opening myself up to him. And I'm not going to feel an attachment to, yeah. to him. Um, now, I, I do like that the fact that the film doesn't go, her husband is less emotionally accessible. Mm-hmm. Um and how that bothers her and their, you know, how that relationship is not perfect. Right. And it has flaws. And so you understand how some of Mark's emotional openness can be like, can be like water for her desert, mm-hmm. just like she's water for his desert. Right. Um, but again, that's just kind of like, uh, You've got water in the desert, and you say, "Well, that person's going to be thirsty, but I'm going to—I can control it and just dribble it out." I I mean, who are you kidding? Right, right. So, yeah, it's—it is problematic there. But again, I think to iterate, it's one of the things that is nice about the film is it—it does treat the sexual relationship seriously. I mean, it does show us that this—this cannot just be a physical act. It, there is a connection made between these two characters that is out of their control. And, and that does provide some of the more poignant parts of the film. Yeah, you know, and that's probably enough for me to appreciate the film, even if 
like it doesn't from my worldview get it entirely right of what sex is mm-hmm. uh, or why some of these complications are happening the fact that they show them happening is at least a relief for me or is enough better than the 90% of the Hollywood films that just show people having sex willy-nilly with no emotional attachment or no consequences that at least they're honest enough to show that, uh, you know, these things have consequences, not just physical consequences, uh, but emotional consequences and that it's not always neat and it's not always pretty and you can't always control it. So I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact then that the priest's judgment seems to be, and that's the essence of doing a great thing is, you know, accepting the fact that life is just messy and you can't, you know, control it. Well, yeah, I, I can accept that, but that doesn't mean that I have to necessarily put myself in a position where those things are going to happen, you know? I mean, that part of it wasn't unpredictable, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So kind of a mixed bag for me, but I, you know, there was enough good there that I appreciated it. And it was certainly much, much better than I expected based on the preview where I thought it was just going to be. It's a serious film. Right. Um, and, and I think that's, that's important. The acting is, is very good. Helen Hunt is, is great. Um, John John Hawks, uh, I've seen him in many different roles doing very different characters, and he pulls it off again. Right. Um, he was nominated for an Oscar for Winter's Bone, if you don't know that um, that actor. There's been a little bit of controversy about it being another able-bodied actor who's playing a disabled person, and anytime you get in, in uh, a movie about the disabled or about ethnicity, there's always going to be politics involved. That didn't particularly bother me, but no, no. So anything else? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the thin place. If you have comments on this episode, please visit our website at www.filmgeekradio.com to leave a comment. You can email us at the thin place at filmgeekradio.com. And you can also follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Moorfield. Or you can visit his blog, the number one, morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!